and they have they don't have any real direction other than Jesus leaves and he's like go to Jerusalem and wait wait for my spirit now they have no cooking clue what on earth he means wait for his spirit what what does that look like remember god before this moment that we're about to read god only spoke through prophets and scripture right and every now and then he had anointed king david was the exception for instance so the you, your average your average joe the the plebs like me and you we we didn't hope to hear directly from god unless you were anointed as a prophet unless you were a king right so they have no reference for what is about to happen their only instruction and they don't know anything that's supposed to happen after this go to jerusalem and wait let's see what happens okay so we're going to read open up to acts 2 we're going to continue reading well haven't started so we're going to start reading when the day of pentecost came they were all together in one place suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them all of them were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them now there was staying in jerusalem god-fearing jews from every nation under heaven when they heard the sound so when the reason why why luke is telling you that they god-fearing jews is because he wants you to know that the people that are going that are reporting this that he interviewed for this story they are credible witnesses okay these people you can take seriously god-fearing jews from every nation under heaven when they heard the sound a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking his own language utterly amazed they asked are not all of these men who are speaking galaeans then how is it that each of us hears them in the, our own native tongue parthians medes elamites residents of mesopotamia judea um, cappadocia pontus and asia so i mean this is this is as far as asia okay asia is a pretty big continent most likely as far as as india usually when you read in in the new testament when it talks about asia it's usually talking about as far as india the disciples went as far as india how cool is that right um uh egypt and parts of libya near cyrene visitors from rome both jews and and converts to judaism um cretans and arabs we hear them declaring the wonders of god in our own tongue amazed and perplexed they asked one another what does this mean okay so this is a very strange strange happening and it's and it's kind of mirroring it's the opposite in a sense of what happened at the tower of babel do you remember that story about the tower of babel right after the flood with noah the the the, the descendants of noah decide well that flood was pretty bad let's build a tower unto god and we'll put in all our strength and our might and we'll try and reach god okay and god comes and he hits them 
and all of a sudden they start speaking different languages so that they can't understand each other and they scatter from there. Okay? And now what you see is all these nations coming together. It's all these nations that are in the same, um, same city, Jerusalem, and God hits these, these disciples and each one of these nations is hearing a, a language that each one of them can understand. It's, it's a unifying force, in other words. Isn't that beautiful? Where they were once scattered in their, uh, in their own attempt to reach God, God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, has come down to them and given them a means by which they will now be unified to build the kingdom of God. Isn't that beautiful? Right? So it's this complete reversal of what's happening. And of course, people get a little bit freaked out. Um, verse 13, Some, however, made fun of them and said they have, they have had too much wine. <laughs> then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and address the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Although I don't know if that's completely relevant in South Africa. Um, obviously there's cultural context here. Uh, no, this is what was spoken about with the prophet Joel. Okay, and now we're going to go back to Joel, and uh, Peter starts, he quotes an entire passage out of Joel, it's the end of, of Joel chapter 2, which we're going to go read just now in a minute, but a couple of things to point out with Joel, Joel is an is a interesting prophet because, number one, we don't actually know when the book of Joel is written, it's not entirely clear in terms of the timeline, he references Different, different dates. But one thing we do know about Joel is he was a scholar. And he was very familiar with um, quite a great deal of the Old Testament prophets and the law. And that's, that, sounds, that doesn't sound um, unique, but you must remember not everybody in Old Testament scripture had access to a catalog of books, books like you and I do. Um, on the radio, right? Most, most, most of even the even the synagogue leaders do not have a full collection of of um, Old Testament writings, um, and very few of them would have an entire collection of the Torah, for instance, right? And they were extremely valuable, extremely rare, extremely expensive, and so for Joel to have studied. All these different books, um, at least Jeremiah, Isaiah, the Psalms, most of the Torah, Ezekiel. He had access to all this information, which tells us that he's a very learned prophet. The other interesting thing about Joel is that it doesn't point out a specific sin. He's the only prophet to do this. Okay, All the prophets in the Old Testament roughly follow... Um, this template, okay? You guys have done evil in the eyes of God. You've done X, Y, and Z. And because you've done X, Y, and Z, these are the consequences. 
But don't, don't worry, don't fret. God will save you. Okay? It's roughly those, those three things. You've messed up. This is what you've done. Okay? These are the consequences. You're going to be sold into slavery. Uh, you, your nation's going to be at war, etc., etc. Take your pick. And then number three, there's a call for hope. Okay? Although you've done this and the consequences are these, God still makes a plan to save you. Roughly, all the prophets follow that rough template. Okay? With the exception of two. One being Amos. Amos does not have the third bit, a call for God to come save the nation. And then Joel. Joel does not have the bit where um, he points out a specific sin. So Joel comes and he just says, okay, uh, we can clearly see you guys are living in hardship. Okay? But here's how you get out of it. And this is the book. This book is relevant because this is the book that Peter quotes. So we're going to do ourselves a favor. This is a good trick. Uh, not, not trick, should I say. A, a good life hack. When somebody sends you a verse, go and read the whole chapter in which that verse comes from. Okay, And if you're a good friend, don't send verses to people. Send chapters. Okay? Verses can mean different things under different contexts. So what we're going to do, what, what Peter does, which is amazing, is he doesn't just quote random bits of passage. He gives us an entire passage of Scripture. And this is, this is incredibly relevant for us, I think, today. So we're going to go through this chapter. I'm going to, for the sake of time, um, I'm going to skip a, a few bits and highlights a few other bits. But I think something that is so valuable here is that we want revival, right? And we've all heard the prophecies about revival breaking out in the garden route. And I think um, what, what Peter is doing in his sermon when he quotes, quotes Joel, I'm going to quickly read the bit that he quotes just now, in a minute, but he's, he's saying, this is what revival looks like, okay? But I think, I think it's worthwhile that if we want to get to that place, what it looks like, we've got to look at the bit that precedes that. What happens, what happens directly before revival breaks out? What is the thing that prepares our hearts and minds for revival to come? We all want it, Amen. Right, we want. I mean, I don't know if you've been following the news in America. Amazing revival breaking out there in Asbury. In Asbury the last time I checked there, it's now on 21 different campuses. Right, been going on for two and a half weeks, I think. Doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Just seems to be jumping from campus to campus. Okay, and uh, and. And I've got to be honest with you, I don't, I don't want that. Right? I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want that. Because what that is, is what God wants for that area. And what I want is what God wants for this area. Do you, you know what I mean? And so, I, I mean, 
I'm praising God for it, and I'm encouraging it, and I think it's awesome. But I'm going, I'm not going, how do I take that and copy that and make it here? I'm going, God, how do I prepare myself for what you want to do here? Right? I don't, I don't want mass spiritual hysteria. I want God to have his way in my town. Whatever that looks like. Amen? So let's, I'm going to read first the passage that, that Peter quotes, and I'm going to back up a bit. So listen to this um, from verse 27. Sorry, from, from verse 28. And afterwards I will pour out my spirit. This is, this is what um, Peter is quoting directly from Acts chapter 2. Sorry, directly from Joel in Acts 2. And afterwards I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on, my, on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Okay, who wants revival? Who wants it to be dreadful and terrible? We just said we want, we want what God wants. Amen? It's the dreadful and terrible day of the Lord. Where his spirit is poured out. Who wants that terrible and dreadful day? <laughs> You've got to go home and think about that. Right? But we just said we want what God wants. Amen? You know that God wants judgment day to happen? Amen? <laughs> okay. You guys can figure that one out in your own quiet time. But I, I want to encourage you to read through this passage that Joel is quoting. Okay? Because remember, when Peter is preaching, these aren't happy times in Jerusalem. They're under Roman occupation. Heavy, heavy, heavy persecution. These aren't happy times. These aren't good times. And I think one of the number one things that happens when revival breaks out, revival, I think, break, tends to break out in moments when we desperately, desperately need him. And so I think the question is not, do you want revival? It's, are you desperate? Do you hunger and you, do you thirst for a move of Jesus? Is it a matter of, Jesus, if you don't pitch up now, I might lose my life. But even if you don't, I will still praise you. You know that story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? We have one of the characters, hey, Meshach, how's it going? <laughs> you know that story, right, in, the, in Daniel, where, the, where the, the, the emperor in Baal, he makes the statue, makes the entire nation bow down, and there's three, there's three servants of God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or if you watch Veggie Tales, Shadrach and Benny. Right, 
and uh, and they they decide we don't bow down in front of anyone except God. And they get called in front of the emperor. And they say, what's going on? Say, so you can throw us in the furnace, but our God can save us. But even if he doesn't, we will still worship you. Right? And what happens? Revival breaks out. The, the angel of the Lord comes and saves them in a fire. In front of the whole nation, and the emperor declares, your God is the true God. Isn't that beautiful? Right? So if we want revival, it's, it's a matter of, well, do we occupy those spaces where terrible, terrible things are happening? Right? Do we look for our own comfort? Do we look for a good life? Do we look for escape? Or are we looking to occupy ourselves with the lowliest of the lows, the desperate places that nobody wants to go to? Because, I mean, we're all suffering for the gospel in the garden route. Amen? <laughs> Amen? Just, man, I'm having a hard time here. Eh? Sure. I mean, it's so cold in February. What is going on, you know? Okay, I want to read something else for you. Go to Joel chapter 2, verse 12. So now, what, what's, what's been going on is that just before this passage, Joel, Joel describes an army of locusts. And the weird thing is, you know, scripturally, locusts don't have a great connotation. They usually mean evil. But in this, in a very strange twist, Joel likens the army of God to locusts. And the army of God is going to come up and swallow up everything. Everything that sets its, itself against God, the army of God is going to come and trample over it all. Right? And it's a, it's a, it's a picture of what's to come. Um, and I think also just a, a side note here. Some people often get confused, you know, when it talks about the day of the Lord. Is that the coming of Jesus? Is that the end of days when judgment day happens? And it, it can mean both. Uh, the, the day of the Lord does not necessarily refer to a specific date, but just refers to a, a, uh, a noticeable move of God. So a day of the Lord has happened before Joel. and Joel is, so in chapter 1, he talks about a day of the Lord that happened before. This is what happened in the past. And in, in chapter 2, he starts talking about a day of the Lord that is to come. Okay, And we recognize, for instance, when Jesus came, died for our sins, and broke the power of death over our lives, that all those who believe in him can be saved. We, know, we mark that as a day of the Lord if not the day of the Lord, right? But we also talk about the day of the Lord when he comes again, right? And then he's going to come not as a helpless baby, but he's going to come ready for war on the back of a horse with a sword. And he's going to divide the nations, okay? And it's going to be great. 
It's going to be terrible. That's going to be awesome. Verse 12, Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. What does it mean, rend your heart and not your garments? What was a very common practice back then to signify that you were repenting was to tear your garments. There were a few famous kings um, in the past that tore their robes in front of God when, they f- when either prophet confronted them and they were, they were confronted with their sins. And what Joel is saying is, um, you know, okay, the, the tearing of your garments thing was cool. It's a little bit overdone. Okay, it's not, it's not, it's not a show. God doesn't want a show. He wants your heart. Don't tear your garments, rend your heart. What does that, what does that word rend? It means it's almost like wrestle. It's like your heart wants to go in this direction and you need to wrestle it and move it and force it into submission and turn it towards God. It's the same thing when, when David is singing, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's a command. My flesh does not feel like blessing the Lord. But I will call my flesh into submission and my flesh will bless the Lord. My heart does not feel like turning towards God. But by the grace of God that he has given me, the power unto transformation, I will take my heart and turn it towards God. Not by my own strength, but by the grace that he's given me. Right? Don't give me a show. Show me in your actions. Show me in your everyday life. There is, this is a warning. This is just like Noah and the ark. The flood is coming. And it's a warning as relevant as it was then, it's relevant today. Jesus is coming again. I love that scene. Have you ever watched The Chosen? Right? And there's a scene in the first season. These kids ask Jesus, are you dangerous? And he says, to some. Right? Scary. It, it sent chills up my spine. Jesus is coming again. And if you are not with him, you're in trouble. You're going to be taken out. That great and terrible day, you're going to experience the terrible side of it. Danger is coming. And, and it's, not, it's not me that's a bad guy that's pointing that out. Okay? It's like telling you the weather for the next week. It is what it is. And how you feel about it does not make a difference to it. It is coming. You, you are warned. And so the response on you is, what will you do about it? Will you sit idly by? And wait to be devoured? Or will you wrestle with your flesh? Will you wrestle with yourself? Turn your heart towards God. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. 
slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and, and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Why? Have you ever thought about this? Why, are we, why is history so harsh on Judas and not on the other disciples? I mean, if they all betrayed him, why does Judas get the bad rap? Have you ever thought about that? These are the things that keep me up at night. <laughs> well, yeah, he took the flesh. So there's one thing that separates Judas and the other disciples. And it's the same thing that Jesus talks about in the parable of the talents, right? What determines their actions? It's how they knew God. You see, the other disciples, they went to the upper room and waited for Jesus to return. Whereas Judas decided he's better off on his own. And he took his life in his own hands. Why did the other disciples, I mean, you've just betrayed the God of the universe. <laughs> and you go and, and then you go and wait for him in the upper room. Why is that? Because they believed that they believed that he is gracious and compassionate. Whew. Isn't that beautiful? He is gracious and compassionate. And I, you know, sometimes I read scripture and, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this when you're reading about a character. It's like, oh, these guys are so stupid. How do they make such dumb mistakes? But you know, deep down, that's you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you know it's you. But here's the good news, okay? Okay, well, the bad news is you're a sinner, okay? Turn to somebody next to you and go, you sinner. <laughs> you sinner. Here's the good news. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. He is slow to anger, compassionate, abounding in love. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Abounding. It's not just that he's loving, it's that there is an abundance of love. And the disciples go and wait in the upper room. And Jesus meets them there. And he forgives them. And not only does he forgive them, he calls them to a purpose. Peter I haven't forgotten what I said. You just denied me <laughs> the other day three times. But on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, on this revelation of who I am, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. And that's me and you. And it just requires one thing, that you turn your heart towards God. 
there is an assault on our culture, on our sense of right and wrong, on what we know to be true and what we don't know to be true. There is an assault on what the Bible calls truth from all fronts. And you must choose as you sit here, will you serve the Lord? It's going to get very uncomfortable. That's my guess. I don't want to be doom and gloom. But I think it's going to become very, very uncomfortable to follow Jesus. You're going to have to make statements about what is truth when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to truth, when it comes to the only way to get to God being through Jesus Christ. And you have to decide now, not sometime in the future when the moment hits. Jesus says it's wise. Before you go out on this journey, count the cost now. What it's going to take. You're going to have to put yourself in very uncomfortable situations going forward. You might be ostracized. In certain parts of the world, there are kids that are getting expelled for saying that a man is a man and a woman is a woman from their schools. It's utter madness. It's ludicrous. Truth has become lies and lies has become truth. And you get a 16-year-old kid that just says the truth and he gets expelled from his school. But we're the tyrants, apparently. And... There's got to be a part of you that's going to go, it's not easy, but I will turn my heart towards God. It is only through Him that I can be saved. It is only through Him that I have eternal life. It's only through Him that I hope to withstand the storm that is coming. It's only with Him that I can survive. Amen. Okay, we're going to worship. Let's stand together. So I feel that we need to give an opportunity. I know what I'm saying is heavy. And it's not that I mean to be heavy. But we have to be honest. Right? We have to just be, be straight with ourselves and say, Hey, we're not playing games anymore. If we want revival... If we want the Spirit of God to pour out over this city, we need to be prepared for how uncomfortable that's going to get. The questions that people are going to ask. And if you've got red in your ledger, you need to deal with that now. First off, all revival starts with an acknowledgement. Jesus, I have betrayed you. I have sinned towards, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you, Jesus. Starts with a confession and repentance. Jesus, I'm choosing you. At the expense of everything else, at the expense of losing family, friends, school, jobs, happiness, a home. Jesus, I choose you. Because if I've, if I've got everything but I lose my soul, what do I have? 